Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and it is Super Bowl week as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 130. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to get deep inside this matchup against the New England Patriots. How do these two teams match up on both sides of the ball? Greg and I will break it all down. Next up on Scouting Report, we will, for the last time this year until the 2018 season, we will break down an opponent on the other sideline and review what I thought of him coming out of college. This time, it will be Patriots defensive end Trey Flowers. But before we get into that scouting report, let's not waste any more time. Greg Cosell and I break down the Super Bowl matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots on both sides of the ball. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, like I mentioned, it is Super Bowl week, so why why would I go anywhere else except to our man, NFL Films, senior producer Greg Cosell. Uh, Greg, welcome to this week of the Super Bowl. You and I are not in Minneapolis yet. We will be shortly. Uh, let's just get right into it. Let's talk about this matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots, and let's start with how these two teams match up with the Patriots offense and the Patriots or and the, and the Eagles defense. When you look at Tom Brady at this point in his career, is it the same Tom Brady, or can Eagles fans who maybe don't watch the Patriots all that often, can they, can they expect the same old Tom Brady this Sunday night? You know, I would say yes. I think the thing with the Patriots offense is more, look, Brady's a great player, Fran. I mean, we all know that. But I think it's how they run their offense and what they do that is really more critical to, to what the offense is. And by that, I mean what they do with personnel, what they do with formations, what they do with their selective use of tempo, uh, which actually I think will be a big factor in this game for New England. Uh, So, you know, Brady is is obviously great, and we know that he can come back in big moments. But, uh, you know, I think when you look, when the Eagles look at this offense, it's not just, wow, Tom Brady's a really great player. It's what, how do you match up to what the Patriots present to you? Yeah, and to get into that, I guess when you look at the, in terms of the, the personnel packages and how they go 20 personnel with two backs, no tight ends, 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, 12 personnel, one back, two tight end. I mean, they, they vary things so well. And not just that, but the way that they line up out of those packages, they're able to line up in so many different ways that as a defense, it's not enough for you to know who is on the field. It's now a matter of how are they going to be used, what situation are we in in terms of down and distance and, uh, and point differential. That's all going to dictate what the Patriots are going to try and do on any given play. No question. I mean, you and I have talked about this, that um, you know they, they can line up with 21 personnel, meaning two backs, and one of the backs is the fullback. Now, sometimes it's James Devil and the fullback. Sometimes Lewis and White are on the field together. So the first thing you have to decide as a defense is based on personnel. What personnel do you put out in response? You know, 
I would assume if Devlin's on the field, you go with your base. But it's not a given that if Lewis and White are on the field that you go with your base. So the Eagles have to decide. Jim Schwartz has to decide, number one, what he wants to do personnel-wise, and then what he wants to do coverage-wise in those situations. Because obviously we know that if you, let's say, play zone, uh, and James Devlin, who very often is split wide outside the numbers, and you have a corner, Darby or Mills over him, then you might have Cooks or Hogan or Amendola inside, and then they're working against linebackers or safeties. And, you know, that's what the Patriots do exceptionally well. And there's two plays, or really a few plays, that really come to mind just in these two playoff games that the Eagles have played. You know, that final play against the Atlanta Falcons, the fourth down play to Julio Jones, the, the Falcons came out in 21 personnel with two, or with two backs, and they had the fullback split wide, and Ronald Darby was covering them. I'm sure you know that, that's a scenario where the, the Patriots may look at that and say, okay, in that kind of scenario, this is how they played it against Atlanta. Then you look at Minnesota, the opening drive, the touchdown that they gave up to Kyle Rudolph. It was a similar type scenario. They wrote, they move out uh, the running back Latavius Murray out wide. They moved into an empty set. The, the Eagles had some issues trying to get lined up, and now they get a missed assignment, and Rudolph is wide open for a touchdown down the seam they're going to look at plays like that and the Eagles are obviously going to kind of work off of plays like that as well it's going to be interesting to see how the chess match unfolds on Sunday night well and that's where the selective use of tempo comes in as well because if you start going tempo and you do things like that I mean the Murray play he motioned out so that wasn't tempo in a strict sense but he could have been out there to begin with and then you have to decide defensively okay how are we playing this and then very often Brady will snap the ball and all you need in the NFL is, is you know less than half a beat or half a step and you, you've got a defense that, that gets beat so you know that's something that that look the Eagles have two weeks they'll prepare for it but when it happens in real time uh, you know it, it's it's a little more difficult than when you're sitting in a classroom or you're doing a walkthrough in practice so uh, it's it's that is one thing that the Eagles will have to deal with both the personnel packages and as you and I have discussed the the Patriots are probably as multiple and diverse out of base personnel packages as any team in the NFL and. That presents a problem. And then the tempo, the tempo is an issue. It's an issue for every team, every defense. So I think those two things, and we haven't even gotten into, you know, how they're going to match up to Gronk or other specific players, but those things are are definite concerns when you play the Patriots. And that's why I mentioned, Fran, that it's not just Brady. We know what he is. You know, he's not not a a surprise. But it's, it's what they do, which makes it even more difficult. So if you're the Eagles and you're preparing to play man coverage against this team, who do you see as being the player that's going to match up against a Rob Gronkowski if the Eagles are, say, in nickel or if they're in dime? And then conversely also on the running backs, James White, Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead. If you're, if you're Jim Schwartz, how are you viewing that matchup-wise if you are going to try and man up? Well, then it gets down to personnel packages. If you're in your base, let's say, you know, I think Malcolm Jenkins will play the tight end. He'll play Gronk. And and clearly, you know, Malcolm's a really good player. Uh, everyone is a mismatch to some degree with Gronk. But, I mean, I think Malcolm Jenkins is one of the best all-around safeties in the league, and he's as good a safety for these kinds of situations as you could have. If they're going to play, and I think you'll see them play more dime than nickel friend. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think they're going to want Corey Graham on the field. I think the Patriots are the kind of team that it's not that you want them to run the ball effectively. No one wants the opponent to run effectively, but I think the feeling would probably be that the run game is the lesser of the two evils. You know, the Patriots did not run the ball a lot in, in either playoff game. 
And that doesn't mean they won't in this game. You know, we don't know that. But I think the feeling would be that, you know what, we're going to stop the run as part of defending the pass as the priority. Well, when you talk about the run game, I thought it was pretty interesting going back and watching a lot of the Patriots over the last week or so. Their play-action game is pretty strong. They they do a good job in terms of setting up route combinations off of play-action, whether it's in the, the intermediate area or down the field. It's a much more vertical offense, I feel like, uh, than what I've seen from them in the past. Obviously, Brandon Cooks and you know his speed, his ability to track the deep ball, I think plays into that. But uh, they've got the ability to go off play-action, and Brady seems to have been been really, really good in those kind of situations this year. And you hit on a great point. They are really multiple with their play actions. They've got the bang play action, you know, yeah. where they go with the power play action. It's a three-step drop, and very often they hit Gronkowski right behind the linebacker level. And those turn out to be 20 to 25-yard gains, and they seem like nothing plays. Uh, then they've got the, the deeper play actions, which they've done a lot more of this season, as you said. They, they've had deeper drops, and they've thrown the ball down the field more especially when they feel that the coverages are relatively predictable. And the Eagles, they're a great defense, but they're not that that complex from a coverage standpoint. You pretty much know you're going to get single high. So then it's just a matter of whether it's man or zone, but you're going to get single high, so your route concepts will likely attack single high. Greg, what are the matchups up front in the trenches? Because I think that's what Eagles fans and, and you know, in the local media, that seems to be the area where everybody thinks, all right, this is where the Eagles have a definite advantage in this game is the Eagles' defensive line against the Patriots' offensive line. Take us through, you know, look at the center or the starters from left to right. You have uh, Nate Solder at left tackle, Joe Thune at left guard, David Andrews at center, Shaq Mason at right guard, and Cam Fleming at right tackle. Uh, what are the matchups that you feel strongest about going in this game? What are the ones you'll be watching? Well, I think the overall matchup, I think, favors the Eagles. And again, a lot of teams, I think, not a lot, but some teams do favor, uh, the matchup favors them when they play the Patriots. But that doesn't automatically mean you win the game. Uh, I think two areas where the Eagles can attack, particularly when they get into obvious pass rush situations, is the left guard, Thune, who has struggled at at times this year in one-on-one pass protection, and Cameron Fleming at right tackle, who's also struggled at times in one-on-one pass protection. Now, you could say the same about Solder at left tackle, but I wouldn't call him a weakness. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, has he had some, some tough snaps at times this year? Yes, but I don't think I'd call him a weakness. Um, whereas I think Thune and Fleming, you can beat them one-on-one, and I think what that's what you'll obviously see when the Eagles are in their sub-packages, because they'll bring Graham inside, and then you'll have Graham and Cox, as we've discussed, basically being the 2-3 techniques, and then the Patriots will have to decide how they want to protect. From the from a lot of these games, and you can go back obviously years and years, and you go to Atlanta last year in the Super Bowl, and some of these other, you know, teams seem to have this offense kind of on the ropes early on in the game. You go to Jacksonville last week or two weeks ago now, and what they were able to do early in that game to kind of keep them off the board, jump out to that early lead. What are the early points of success that really kind of help those off or those defenses in limiting this this offensive scheme and Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels? Well, I think one thing we've seen throughout the year, and we just hit on it, is there's been more pressure put on Brady. Uh, and, and even though he's you know, obviously still ended up with a great year numbers-wise, leading the league in, in passing yards, and I think leading the league in yards per attempt, because they do push it down the field a little more, there, he's been hit more this year. He's had to work more from, out of muddied pockets, so he's had more bad moments. 
Uh, and I think that's what you're hanging your hat on. You're hanging your hat that you can get pressure and people around him. Now, there's also been critical moments like the third and 18 in the AFC Championship game where you would expect pressure. You know, Jacksonville did what probably the Eagles would do, rush four and play zone behind it. It, it was quarters, not cover three, but but on that play, they got no pressure whatsoever. You know, so you're, the times that they've struggled in the pass game in particular – has mostly been, I think, without you know remembering every play, has mostly been a function uh, of some pressure on Brady and, and getting him a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and then when you talk about the Eagles' rotation up front in terms of how they you know they rotate eight nine guys in there, if you do go tempo and you get stuck, that's where I guess you you kind of get into those situations where in a key moment maybe your D line's been on the field now six seven plays in a row and they've been chasing guys around. Now all of a sudden they're a little bit gassed, and that's where you can get gassed for a big play. And that's why I think tempo is so important, Fran. You hit it right on the head. Uh, you know, I meant to say that earlier when I was talking about it, but you're 100% right. I think that they, they probably know that there's a little bit of a mismatch there with their O-line versus the Eagles D-line. And to try to alleviate that mismatch, they will play some tempo, uh, not only because it just it makes it harder to rush the quarterback, but also you can't get into the, uh, the D-line rotation. That's been such a strength of the Eagles all season. And Greg, while we're on the topic, we got a question this week that I think is really relevant to this game, and it was from Justin Fattori. He left it a couple weeks ago on our Apple podcast page, and he left a question about how he feels the Eagles' defense will try to counter opponents who try to emulate the Giants' game plan from earlier this season. You know, the, the three-stepping out, quick throws, uh, the quick passing game. Is that something you think that the New England Patriots will try to emulate this week? Absolutely. I mean, and I think they'll be well aware of that. That's part of their their M.O. to begin with. Uh, you know, I think one thing, and I can't remember if you and I discussed this last week, but when the Eagles play cover three, their corners play off, which is most, most teams do in cover three. Rarely do corners press in cover three. You might see the boundary corner press, but the Eagles don't normally do that. So Darby and Mills will play off. And I think that Brady, if, uh, Brady, one of his absolute strengths is he may be the most patient quarterback in the league. He's more than willing to throw six or seven yard completions. If you give him those, he'll take those all day. And and I think that he's going to make Mills and Darby have to come up and then then we'll see if they do the sluggos. We'll see if they do the double moves. But if Mills and Darby are going to play with eight and nine yard cushions, as is often the case in their cover three, as you know, then I think you're going to see a lot of hitches, a lot of outside hitches, and it'll be second and three. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to play that for sure. Uh, Greg, let's let's switch over to the other side. And now you talk about this Patriots defense that I think a lot of people locally are kind of overlooking. You know, yeah, the numbers in terms of total yardage and things like that are not great. But overall, you, know, you watch this defense, they do a lot of cool things schematically. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough unit to face up against for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to, you know, I think – what makes this game so interesting to me is both sides of the ball are really fascinating. And, and you know, one thing that, I, that I've been thinking a lot about, and again, it doesn't mean that the Eagles will win the game, and, and I don't know how you feel, but I think the Eagles have an advantage on, on both lines. I think their D-line has an advantage over the O-line for the Patriots, and I think their O-line has an advantage over the D-line for the Patriots. So do, do you see it that way as well? I do, I do, I do see it that way. You know, you look at uh, we talked about the defensive line. I think that's absolutely something that's in the, the Eagles' favor. And then when you look at the Eagles' offensive line, especially the way that they've been playing uh, down the stretch here, you know, they've matched up. Look, New England, they've got some players up front, but I think when it's all said and done, the way that this Philadelphia Eagles' offensive line is played, I think that that is a mismatch as well, both in the run game and in the passing game. 
Yeah, and I think if, if we were to talk about the, the Patriots' defense a little, I think the best way to describe them, if you sort of look at it from the Cliff Notes version, is they're very multiple with their front, so it's front multiplicity, but the but the back end is pretty consistent. It's coverage consistency. They're man-based. Now there's multiple man concepts. They play cover one, they play one robber, they play two man, but they're, they're more man-based than zone-based. Uh, it's a higher percentage. So so the main issue for them is is Bill Belichick and his sense of studying the Eagles offense and his sense of tendency based on down and distance field position, what fronts will he be in? Because that's where they're really multiple. They're very multiple with their front looks. I, that's one of the first things that stood out to me. I, the first game I watched, you know, in my study of them was, you know, the, the game, the AFC title against Jacksonville. And, you know, you come out in the first play and it's a 4-3 over front and they're in base personnel. And you say, okay. And you go next play and it's now it's a 3-4 alignment. You've know, you got two four-eye techniques and you got two edge rushers standing up off the Okay, there's, there's a 4-3. Then they come out in nickel and they come out in a 3-4 look and Patrick Chung is like a stacked inside linebacker. So it's still a 3-4 front except out of nickel. And you say, all right. Then they go small nickel and you have Eric Rowe on the field. Then you've got your bare look and you all, your defensive line is reduced. I mean, they, they just come out in all these different looks and it's snap after snap after snap. It, it makes it a, a, an assignment game, a, a tape study, a, a homework game for this offensive line because you've got to be prepared to both run and pass against all these different looks and be aware of what your assignments are. And then you have to be aware of adjustments, you know, once you get in your stance. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the Kelseys come into play. Then it becomes absolutely critical for those adjustments to be made where, you know, maybe a, a zone run becomes a fold block or, you know, just because of the, of the way the front is set up. Little things like that can be the difference between a play being, you know, stopped for no gain and a run that goes for 10 yards. And, you know, in games like this, true in every game, but it's magnified in the Super Bowl, every yard becomes important. Yeah, that was actually another thing that you made a great point is those late shifts. They they love doing that. Especially I noticed it against, you know, like younger quarterbacks, younger offensive lines, typically where you see, you know, they'll line up one way and then right after the protection gets set, the setter puts his head down, now all of a sudden everybody shifts and what used to be a three four front now motions down into like a four three under front. Now you everything is a little bit wonky in terms of how you're gonna block it up. And they, they do like to do that to kind of mess with the protection scheme a little bit they did in the, in the playoff games, I mean, I know they did it against Tennessee, and it was very effective, was sort of delay blitz a little bit, I mean, which is something that, you know, I, I, I don't recall them doing as a sort of a staple, but, uh, you know, they did it really effectively against Tennessee, and it's, and it's the kind of thing that potentially could be effective against Vitae at left tackle if he sees no one coming and then let's say steps inside to help and then all of a sudden you know someone comes and you know I think you have to be aware of that because they've had success doing that in the playoffs. Yeah, I can think of one sack in particular against Tennessee for sure, where they were able to do that with the the one linebacker coming off the right side. I think that it's it will be interesting when they do those late shifts again for the offensive line. It just becomes about the, the late adjustments. You're not going to be able to change the protection scheme, but you have to be aware going in. Okay, if they change into this look, this is how we're going to block this up. So uh, th- that's why it'll be an assignment game for them. You, you look up, defensively up front. I, to me, and I'm going to talk about him a little bit later in the show in terms of what he looked like coming out of Arkansas, but you know, Trey Flowers is probably the guy. I mean, Malcolm Brown is a really talented player too, a former first-round pick, but I think Trey Flowers might be the guy that kind of makes that operation go up front. 
Yeah, I think he's, you know, in terms of, of uh, being their base and their sub-packages, he moves around a lot. Um, you know, I wouldn't call him a pure pass rusher, but, you know, he's a guy that can play outside, he can play inside. They'll bring in Dietrich Wise as well when they go to their sub-packages. He's long, pretty athletic. Um, you know, they, they've really gotten a lot more pressure on the quarterback over the last part of the season and in the playoffs, and, uh, and they've gotten a lot more sacks. So that's something that, you know, early in the season we would always say, well, they don't, they don't have a pass rush. And while they don't have the one guy that we look at and say, wow, that guy, is he's the guy you have to account for, they've been getting more and more pressure on the quarterback, some of it with guys winning and some of it with with, with tactics. And uh, they now have a pass rush that you do have to be concerned about. Yeah, yeah. James Harrison was the one who had the big sack last week against Jacksonville late in the game. And it, it seemed to me watching them – a lot of their pressure schemes seem to come when they come out and dime. And we'll talk about their secondary and how they use those guys uh, in a little bit. But from a pressure scheme standpoint, a lot of blitzes, blitzers coming from the second and them, namely the third level. They like to blitz those, those slot corners, those safeties, the corners from the boundary. Uh, a lot of edge pressure from the team, especially when they go into dime. Yeah, and they even play seven defensive backs at times. No team in the NFL played anywhere near the amount of snaps of, of seven defensive backs as the Patriots, and they'll bring Jordan Richards in. And obviously, if they're going to blitz from that, it's going to be a defensive back. So, no, they definitely do that. It brings speed, uh, and we'll see how much they do it here. You know, it, it's going to be interesting in those situations because you had Nick Foles, who who played a game that was not what his, his normal game was. I mean, so in some ways, it's which Nick Foles are you going to get. Are you going to get the Nick Foles in the NFC Championship game who made a lot of plays late in the down in the pocket and outside the pocket? Or are you going to get the Nick Foles that pretty much had been on tape most of his career who was primarily a pocket quarterback and struggled when it got late in the down or outside the pocket? So it's it's... I'm not sure the Eagles know which one it'll be. We'd like it to be the one that played against Minnesota because then I think the Eagles would have a real good shot to win the game. Talk to me about what you think the Patriots will try and do in terms of the, the RPO game. And that's how everybody likes to talk about, uh, you know, the run pass options in the Eagles offense. And, you know, we saw some cl- some glimpses both against Jacksonville, against Tennessee. I watched the Kansas City game where they got gashed a little bit in terms of where they have those package plays, those run-pass options built in, where the defense kind of got cut in half. You saw a lot of players at the second and third level motioning with with the, the pass option there on the outside. But that being said... I think you know. I think back to the play against Minnesota the other day, where um, you know the, the last Sunday at this point, where uh, Anthony Barr came flying down at the mesh point out Nick Foles, and he got a really good shot on Nick Foles. So I'm going to be interested to see overall how the Patriots try to to go into this because it's obviously something they're going to be preparing for, uh, having two weeks to prep for this game. Well, the other thing is, I wonder if the Eagles will expand the run-pass option concepts because they're going to look at the AFC Championship game and see that the Patriots struggled a bit. It wasn't the same kind of run-pass option we're used to seeing the Eagles run, but they ran run-pass option. Two of of Grant's uh, pass plays in the first quarter were run-pass options. Then they did the exact same thing in the second quarter and gave it to Fournette versus a light box, and he ran for 13 yards out of the exact same look. So, you know, the Eagles also have extra time. They may expand and their run-pass option concepts. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting just to see how that kind of plays out. It's the the matchup between Doug Peterson and Bill Belichick. I think it's going to be fascinating. That's where the reason why I wanted to lead off the Eagles game plan show, and you, you did that segment uh, just talking about it, you know, in terms of what Belichick tries to do, and everyone says, oh, yeah, he wants to take away what you do best, and we talk about what they do on the back end in the secondary. Uh, talk about that now in terms of what they like to do on the back end in terms of 
sending extra defenders and trying to take away your number one pass catcher or, or perhaps even an area of the field in the passing game? Well, I think since they they play a lot of man, which I assume they will. Again, you never know with two weeks, but they have been a man-based defense. I think what Belichick does exceptionally well is situationally he, he doubles people. So on third down, I would imagine, and it won't be every single third down, but on third downs you will see, in my view, Zach Ertz doubled. Uh, I think if if the Eagles get in the red zone, and hopefully they do, then I think you'll see at times Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey double, because you can double two, you can't double three. And Belichick is well known for that. He's well known for doubling two when you get into the red zone, and I think he would take away Ertz and Jeffrey and then make Nick Foles you know, go elsewhere, and then they'd feel comfortable, the Patriots, that is, with their man-to-man matchups. So these are the kinds of things that Belichick does, and the Eagles have to be prepared for. I mean, I think when Foles drops back on third down, he has to really eliminate and isolate really quickly, because what they're going to do is they're going to double Ertz, a dedicated double, and if Foles doesn't pick that up quickly, then he's going to get stuck. And that's where the pressure gets there, that's where his tempo increases, Foles that is, and that's where he gets uncomfortable. So he's going to have to be well aware that the Patriots do those kinds of things. And then on top of that, you need your guys outside of those double teams to win. So if you know if uh, Alshon and Zach Ertz are getting double teamed uh, at their parts of the field, you need Torrey Smith, you need Nelson Aguilar, you need those guys to be able to win their one-on-one matchups in space. Trey Burton, uh, Brent Selleck, whoever's on the field at any given time has to be able to win their one-on-ones as well. Without and that's that's really important in this game because I think Aguilar, I think Aguilar becomes really critical in this game. You know if they're going to go with Eric Rowe uh, and and you know. The thing is, is the the thing about the Patriots is they might put Gilmore on uh, on Jeffrey, which makes sense, but that doesn't mean Eric Rowe is going to play in the slot. You could see uh, Malcolm Butler play in the slot on Aguilar, which is actually a better matchup, and you could see Rowe playing Torrey Smith uh, or Mac Collins. So you know it's not a given that Rowe plays in the slot versus Aguilar because Butler is, is by size and movement a much better matchup. So we're going to go rapid fire real quick here, Greg, because they, they've got all the – you mentioned they, they'll play up to seven defensive backs at a time. And so the Eagles and, and their fans are going to be able to see all these guys in action here on Sunday. I'm going to run through the starters in the secondary, quote-unquote. Just give me your Cliff Notes version, just a quick scouting report on those guys, how they're used and what their strengths are. Uh, let's start with the cornerback, Stephon Gilmore, a player who played for Jim Schwartz in Buffalo for one season. Yeah, he normally lines up at left corner, but uh, they very often will will match him up, and I think it would not surprise me to see him match up to Jeffrey Gilmore as a tough, competitive, physical guy. I think that matchup makes sense. All right, now let's go to to Malcolm Butler, number 21, obviously the the hero of of a Super Bowl victory for the Patriots a few years ago. They never use him to match up to bigger receivers. He's not that kind of player. He's a more of a quickness guy, a movement guy. They'll line him up uh, normally against the quicker receivers, and that's why I mentioned that in, in their sub-packages you might see him play Aguilar because he's kind of the perfect receiver. He would always match up, for instance, to Antonio Brown when they played Pittsburgh. All right, so let's go to the, the free safety now, Devin McCourty, number 32, uh, the former Rutgers standout. Tell us about how he's used in the, in the construct of this scheme. Multi-dimensional. He can line up, you know, as as uh, single high. He can line up as a split safety. They'll match him up at times to the tight end when they do choose to blitz. And Chung might be a blitzer. Um, so he's really multi-dimensional. 
Bill Belichick can never stop glowing about Patrick Chung and uh, and his value to this defense. And he and watching him on film, you could see why in terms of how they use him. He's so multidimensional. Give us a, a quick update on what, how they use the former Eagle in, in coverage against the run as a blitzer. Well, that's the thing. You know, Patrick Chung obviously got to Philadelphia and, and didn't work out. But every year since he's been with the Patriots, we sit in our matchup room here and we go, God, Patrick Chung, they ask him to do an awful lot. And boy, does he do it well. And when you just look at the physical and athletic skill set, you don't think he can. But he is a really good player. I mean, he's the predominant tight end matchup man-to-man. And that's what you'll see. Uh, and and they'll blitz him on occasion. Uh, and and they play that big nickel, you know, quite a bit. So he's a run defender as well. He plays in the box. So he's really asked to do a lot. And boy, does he do it well. So you mentioned that Chung is their big nickel. When they go into their quote unquote regular nickel package, it is Eric Rowe who comes on the field. Uh, what can the Eagles fans expect to see from their former second round pick here in Philadelphia? Yeah, well, that's why I mentioned in this game I have a feeling you might see him go play on the outside and not in the slot with Aguilar because I don't think Rowe has that kind of movement to match up to someone like Aguilar. Rowe's big. Um, he can be physical. Um, you know, he moves pretty well, but, but he's a bigger corner. He's not a quick twitch guy. So I think in this game you'd likely see Rowe, as I said, when they do play man, matched up on Torrey Smith or Mac Hollins. When they go big nickel or dime and Chung has to come into the slot, now you have another Rutgers player, Duran Harmon, the safety that comes on the field. Duran Harmon plays a lot of snaps for them. Uh, tell me about Duran Harmon and give us a little scouting report on him. 99.9% of the time, a, a deep safety. So when they play their, their cover their cover one concepts, whether it's cover one or one robber, he is always the single high safety. And of course, if they go two man, he's the um, you know he's one of the split safeties. But he rarely, if ever, leaves that that back end safety position. And he's he's smart. He's aware. He's not a superior athlete, but he does not make mistakes. One last one, Greg. Number thirty-seven. You mentioned they like to go seven defensive backs sometimes in that dollar alignment. Uh, tell me about Jordan Richards, the former kid out of Stanford. Yeah, now he's he's kind of a hybrid linebacker safety, and uh, he's almost a classic Belichick player, really smart, really aware. Uh, I don't think they'll do it in this game, but they've used him to spy on occasion, depending on the quarterback that they're playing against, depending on the concepts. He could match up to backs, so you could see that as well. Um, but yeah, uh, how much they play seven defensive backs, I don't know. That's a game the game specific thing but it's definitely part of their package they probably played 150 snaps this year of seven defensive backs and i'm not sure there's another team that's played 30 snaps of it your head might be spinning if you're listening and saying like man like all these guys oh that's what the eagles offense has to prepare for in terms of how they use all these players and it's just like that up front too you know you get into all these guys like lawrence guy and ricky jean francois and eric lee and you know malcolm brown adam butler dietrich wise trey flowers we mentioned all these guys they rotate these players in and out all of them have roles in different sub packages so uh, a lot of information to download for this eagles offense uh, and how they use that personnel up in new england so uh greg cosell appreciate the time here as always on the eagle eye in the sky podcast we'll see you in minnesota and we will talk to you next week to recap hopefully an eagles win thanks man appreciate it
Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Shard Sanders and Justin Fattori, who both went on Apple Podcasts and rated the show and left comments saying how much they enjoyed Enjoyed listening. I played Justin's comment earlier in the show, and you got to hear Greg's answer. But thanks to Shard and to Justin, all of you out there, for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Okay, let's keep this show going. I told you we would break down New England defensive end Trey Flowers from back in his college days. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Trey Flowers coming out of Arkansas a few years ago, 6'2 and an eighth, 266 pounds. So kind of a short, squatty frame built in some ways like a Brandon Graham. I thought Mike Quick made a great point this week on Eagles game plan saying that he kind of reminded me of Brandon Graham. The one thing that's different is the length. Trey Flowers has incredible length for the position, 84-and-a-half-inch wingspan, which is the longest of any edge player drafted in the last decade, at least from the numbers that I've tracked. And and Trey Flowers, he knows how to use that length, and that's something that really kind of sets him apart from other defenders that we've seen so far this season in terms of the Eagles' offense. I think when you you go back and you watched his film – uh, one thing I wrote about him coming out of Arkansas was he lined up in a three-point stance. He was the weak side defensive end in their base 4-3 scheme. Also lined up as a five technique and even slid inside as a three technique in some subgroups. So it was interesting he was used that way. As Greg mentioned, he is used in a lot of different ways in this New England defense. So they obviously saw that versatility, and they've put it to good use since he's arrived in the NFL. Displayed good play recognition. He was able to see and feel blocks as they happen in the run and pass games. Does a good job of getting in an offensive lineman's pads right off the snap, and he definitely had some pop in his hands. He's got those long levers, and he's able to jack offensive linemen up right off the ball. You saw that at the college level. He knows how to use that length. He can disrupt passing lanes on his way to the quarterback, showed some anchor strength in the run game, and he played with a good base. He can hold up well at the point of attack. He was never on the ground, something I like to see from uh, college defensive linemen. As a pass rusher, had a lot of different moves. He had a push-pull, he had a hand swipe, a spin move, a swim move, a speed rush, able to go speed to power. He won in a lot of different ways down there at Arkansas. From a negative standpoint, he was often laid off the ball. He was a slow-twitch guy, very little explosiveness. His get-off was just okay at best. He's not going to turn the corner on NFL tackles. I didn't see him as a, as a high-quality pass rusher coming out of Arkansas a few years ago. And as Greg mentioned, he hasn't really turned into that guy. Overall athleticism, I thought, left a lot to be desired. He had to be a little bit more disciplined against the run. When setting the edge, he would lose contain at times, and he struggled to finish tackles in space. Uh, at times, he'd shoot, he would shoot his gun a little bit too early, get off balance, and, be, and he was unable to to finish one-on-one. I thought his motor was just okay, and he, but he did make a lot of plays against running backs and tight ends, just didn't make a lot of plays against offensive linemen at the college level. So that was some of the, the things I worried about with him. That being said, when I wrote up my final report on him, power leverage rusher. He had limited third down value off the edge, more of an inside player. Athletic upside is limited, but high character technician who can defend the run and find ways to disrupt. Didn't think he was going to be able to play special teams with that lack of athletic ability, and that certainly has been the kind of player he's turned into. I will say, he's probably turned into a better player, I thought, than he, because he is a pretty disruptive player. Can Again, can line up anywhere from right over the nose, right on top of Jake, Jason Kelsey, all the way to out wide. So I think it's not going to be just, oh, how 
how is Big V going to match up with Trey Flowers? How is Brandon Brooks going to match up to Trey Flowers? He is going to get reps against pretty much all five of the Eagles' starting offensive linemen. It's a matchup to kind of watch in this game with all the ways that they use all those personnel up front. All right, so great stuff from Greg Cosell. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, one last time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week, hopefully with a Super Bowl championship.